0: Like to very, very quickly go through the astronomical heritage of Hindus. Very ancient knowledge is encoded the metaphor of stories. So, if you go to very ancient works and look for mathematical astronomy, you're not going to find it. You're going to find stories. And the encoding of the stories is what contains information. You learn from that. Later periods saw mathematical treatment of astronomy. This is the Siddhantic period. We'll talk about that just a little bit. So, we know that uh, there are star trails. If you look at the northern uh, hemisphere, look to the north skies, you have Dhruva over here. If you keep a camera open in the evening, you'll soon get these star trails that you see over here. And the earliest astronomy is encoded as stories in Vedic literature. We have a story that the Saptarishis encircle Dhruva. Everybody knows the story right? We are told that Sattva go around Dhruva and that really recounts this knowledge of this information. So the early Indians in the Rigvedic period already had knowledge of the rotation of the earth of this nature. Early Indians also had a clear idea of the equinox and uh, solstice. In your house, if you have an east facing window, you look at where the uh, extremal rays of the sun come at 8 o'clock in the morning and make a chalk mark over there, where the extremal rays Every week, one week later, eight o'clock, make a mark again. Next week, eight o'clock, make a mark again. Pretty soon, you'll find that the sun's extremal rays go from north all the way to the south for six months. Then the rate retraces back and goes back to the north for six months. So, using no more technology than a six-year-old child with a chalk mark, you can trace out over a period of a year what is the extremal solstice point in the north and the south. You could figure out both of these things. You could also figure out the duration of the solar year knowing how much time it takes from here to here could figure out what is the solar year, you could figure out the equinox position, you could figure out the solstice positions. So our Indians were very, very conversant with these things. Uttarayana, Dakshinayana is mentioned. Even the Puranas, they could figure out the length of the solar year. They could figure out that we need to add an Adhikamasa in Rigvedic times itself. That to synchronize between the lunar calendar and the solar calendar, they knew we needed to add a Adhikamasa right in the Rigvedic period. So a very very ancient uh, logic we're talking about. We need to talk about precision because precision is a critically important phenomenon for us to understand the earth in addition to rotating about its axis and pointing the northern hemisphere to Polaris it is also tracing a slow path in the sky what is tracing the axis of rotation where it is pointing to now we're pointing to Dhruva where it is pointing to traces a slow path that takes 26,000 years to complete and that is the precision cycle because of the precision cycle where we are pointing changes today we are pointing at Polaris but when Yadmi Valkyar wrote Shatapatha Brahmana we're pointing at Tuban. Tuban was a pole star there was a period of time when Abhijit was a pole star, Brahmarishi, and that is Vega. So, uh, precision does this to us. Vrithagarga had already estimated the precision rate at 36,000 years. Vrithagarga, approximately 500 BCE or earlier, he had already estimated this at that time. Uh, Bhaskara II, who lived in the 10th century, 11th century, he had estimated this to 25,461 years. Amazing prowess by ancient Indians to have done something like this. So the Indian astronomical model was one of nakshatras and rashi. I have talked about this in earlier talks too. So I am not going to spend too much time on this. Bottom line, it was a division of the sky in 13 and one third degree segments, 27 of them. They also divided the sky in 30 degree segments, the 12 rashi's. And they also had a concept of month. If the full moon appeared over the chitra nakshatra, that month was referred to as a chaitra masa. So Indians in some parts of the country use a full moon as a marker. In some other parts of the country, they use a new moon as a marker. So Amanta month or the Purnia month month. In different uh, calendar systems, you have these things. So they had a concept of nakshatra of the day. They had a concept of a month, lunar month. They had a concept of a solar year. And they were able to now use that knowledge to evolve enormous mathematics to do yugas and other such things. We will see that very, very presently. So here is a listing of the nakshatras in two of our ancient books, the Vedanga Jyotisha, Surya Siddhanta, and the principal star, which is aligned with these things. So this mapping came about when the British came to India, and they asked the pundits, what is that nakshatra? They'd say what the nakshatras." and the pundits and the British would map it to their Western systems. That's why today we have a mapping of this nature. If you're wondering, how old is the nakshatra model? Well, at least as old as Atharva Veda. Atharva Veda in this particular reference, if you use a Griffith translation, you see I've highlighted some names here. It's talking all over the place over different nakshatra names over here. So, at least as old as Atharva Veda, we know that the nakshatra model is that ancient. Ancient Indians also noted something called the synodic and the sidereal months. So, from new moon to new moon, it takes 29.5 days, and that's referred to as a synodic month. However, if you go from the nakshatra, if you start at Chitra nakshatra and you want to see how long it takes to come back to that nakshatra, that takes 27.3 days. So there's a difference. There's a difference between these two: full moon to full moon, or from the uh, backdrop of the skies. Indians knew about these things and they wanted to reconcile between these two cycles in the observed solar year. That gave rise to several insights, adhikamasa, the different yugas, the great cycles. We had the five-year cycle, we had the 19-year cycle, the samvatsara cycle, 60-year cycle of Jupiter and Saturn all the way to the Chatur Yuga cycles. All of these were outcomes of intellectual expression trying to make sense of the movement of the heavenly bodies and those kinds of things. So Indians use their brains to try and understand this uh, phenomenon, make sense out of this. That's what gave rise to all of these things. So today we know that we mark the passage of time using the Panchanga. Panchanga is a multi-dimensional measurement. Typically we use a muhurta which is a 1 of a day or a 48 minute interval in which you make reference to Nakshatra, Tithi, Vara, Yoga and Karana. So these are the uh, five dimensional measurements of time which Indians use traditionally and even today traditional Indians make use of this kind of a measurement of time. I am not sure you can see this from back there but I thought I will very very quickly give you a brief uh, background on Indian astronomy. When ancient Indians saw the sky, what did they see? So this is today's night sky in uh, New Delhi. So this is the horizon. And this is the west direction north and east and this is Polaris this circle is a precession circle that I talked to you about and here is Abhijit and uh, whenever Indians talked about nakshatra for the day it was always in relation to when the moon appears over the eastern horizon what nakshatra is it in what section of the sky is it in so today when the moon appears in the eastern horizon I'm not sure what time I can't even read it here I'm not going to make a guess but uh, uh, when it appears on the eastern horizon, it appears to be in the Rohini nakshatra. This is Rohini nakshatra. So today's nakshatra would be Rohini because when the moon appears, that's where it is. So uh, in addition to that, you see these circles over here. These circles are projections of Earth's latitudes and longitudes in the sky. So they become celestial coordinates. So this is the celestial North Pole, 90 degrees, 80, 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 and 0. So 0 is the celestial equator on the day of the equinox the sun would be exactly on the celestial equator. Okay, So the Uttarayana is six months of a northward course of the sun so it goes up to 23.3 degrees north then the sun retraces crosses the equinox and goes minus 23.3 degrees to the south. Indians knew all these things so these were the cardinal positions so they could look at the sky and figure out the uh, extremal points where it should come and what is the nakshatra against which a certain solstice or an equinox would appear and they recorded these things. They recorded these things in many many uh, of our texts. Based on that we can have an understanding of how ancient these things are. One big example is the Vedanga Jyotisha. Vedanga Jyotisha they has got two components, the Rig Veda Anga and Jatisha, and Yajur Veda and And they've got these verses 5 and 6 and 6 and 7. These verses say there was a winter solstice in the Dhanishta nakshatra. So the colonial Indologists try to make sense out of this winter solstice is at Danish Nakshatra and they cranked back because of precision that's no longer a true statement. When winter solstice happens, we are not at Dhaneshna Nakshatra. It happened in the past. So they cranked back in time and tried to figure out when did that happen. And various scholars gave various times but the closest was Colebrook and uh, Dikshit, who came to 1400 BCE. And it turns out that I simulated this in the calendar and uh, planetarium software. Winter solstice happens here when the sun reaches 23 uh, 24 degrees approximately over here to the south and here is Danishta. So this clearly shows 1440 BCE would be the date for Vedanga Jyotisha. Why is that important? It's important because you can use this to debunk some of the things that Max Miller did. Max Muller used a linguistic model and tried to say that um, the Chandas period is one, the Mantra period is one, the Sutra period is one. He crammed all these things from 1200 BCE to around uh, 200 BCE, and he said that the Jyotishas are the last Sutra period, composed between 600 uh, not in 600, maybe 300 BCE to 200 BCE. But then the Vedanga Jyotisha seems to have been written in 1440 BCE. So this was a huge hit to him towards the end of his career when people criticized him saying what about this, you are talking about a particular date for the Vedanga Jyotisha but the astronomy insight says 1440 BCE. This led to certain things in predictable uh, ways, I will talk about that a little later. Shatapatha Brahmana, Yajnavalkya has got a statement that Kritika never swerves from the east. I am not going to go into details of all of these things, Why? why it was so but you have a heliacal rising of the Kritika nakshatra and uh, this would have happened on an equinox point and this equinox point is a circle and what you see is that this particular date works out to 2982 BCE, against an affirmation of the antiquity of a Brahmana period. Again, it goes back and hits against Max Miller's dating who said that Brahmana period is 800 BCE and so on. You have a pretty ancient uh, uh, data encoded inside Chathapada Brahmana we have an ancient epoch encoded in tables. I am not going to read all of these things but many of the Puranas, temple epigraphy and books like Surya Siddhanta and others seem to be referring to an epoch that is pretty ancient. So this Lee Gentle who came to India is a French man who came to Pondicherry. He got some tables from the Brahmins and published it as tables of Thrivaluar. He sent it off to his friend Cassini in Italy to analyze that. And Cassini came back and said that it refers to an epoch as midnight of February 18th, 3102 BCE. So all of these things are referring to that particular epoch. And that turns out to be a rare conjunction of planets, sun, moon in the Revati Nakshatra. And some people refer to this as the start of the Kali Yuga and also an attempt to do a a dating for the Mahabharata. I know there are multiple opinions on this, but this is one of the uh, dates for that. So uh, simulating this in the planetarium software, say February or two, here is Revati Nakshatra. This is the ecliptic on which all the heavenly bodies go and you find Jupiter, you find uh, Venus, Moon, you find the Sun, you find Saturn, you find Mercury and Mars. All of them are clustered in the Revati Nakshatra. A very, very powerful affirmation that there's a Vedantic concept in an epoch of time in which they sh- the so- so-called Aryans shouldn't even be in India because they are supposed to come only in 1500 BCE. Very, very powerful uh, statement. I'd like to talk to you about Aditi, who is the mother of the gods. Aditi with Kashyapa gave rise to uh, Adityas, Rudras, Vasus, and they're supposed to be the Devas and Daityas. Bhagavad Gita talks about the uh, six-month course, Uttarayana, which is the path of the Devas, and then the path of the Daityas, which is Dakshinayana. And we get the impression that the mother should be equidistant from her sons, whether it is Devas or Daityas, she's got to be equidistant. So you get the feeling that there's something to do with an equinox and Aditi over here. If you're thinking that, you're right, because that's what happens. Now for uh, Nakshatra Punar the deity is uh, Aditi. I'm not going to go into great details of why that is, but uh, Balakangadhar Tilak as well as Abhayankar called this out and said that the era of Aditi is 6000 BCE, it refers to the vernal equinox at Punar Vashu nakshatra. And you find that the vernal equinox position is over here and the nakshatra at that time is uh, Punar Vashu. If you simulate this in the planetarium software it comes to 6000 BCE. So this is the era that uh, Abhayankar and Balaganga the Tilak referred to as the era of Aditi. There's one more interesting data point with Ashvini's. Ashwinis are there all over the place. We know about the story of Sun that he married Sanjana and uh, they had uh, twins the Ashwinis and Sanjana couldn't take the heat so she decided to run away from the sun as far away as she could get from the sun to be cool. If sun was in the winter solstice Sanjana is in the summer summer solstice point. If uh, sun was there she's as far away from the sun as possible. She did that because she wanted to go to a cooler region. She left her shadow Chaya and left. And you find that there are a lot of mentions of Ashwini's in the Rig Veda, a lot of verses over here. Our ancients did not just say these stories because they loved to say stories. They were encoding astronomical information in some of these stories. So this particular episode along with this information of Ashwini's is interpreted by Tilak and Abhayankar as a heliacal rising of Ashwini Nakshatra. Because all over the Rig Veda, you find verses like Ashvini's appear at dawn for their share of sacrifice. Okay? Ashwinis appear at dawn for their share of sacrifice. Based upon that information, you see the heliacal rising of uh, Ashwini, winter solstice, because in the northern hemisphere, that's when it's cooler, because that's when Sanjana has fled from the sun and so on. And this turns out to be 7200 BCE, very very early time frame in the Rig Vedic period. And there are a whole lot of ancient observations, I am not even going to read these things, PV Vartak has got about the seasons the Rig Veda and various other texts, Puranas and so on, a whole lot of dates over there. So what I have done so far is trying to emphasize to you that many of our ancient texts are encoding early information as stories. So these stories are there in the Rig Vedas and the Brahmanas and other places. If you do not know the key to unlocking the wisdom, it's a silly mythological story for you which makes no sense. But if you knew what the significance was, you suddenly see they are encoding dates they're encoding information and so on. I refer you to a talk of mine, TED talk, I, where I talk about um, uh, some, some of these things, how information is encoded in stories. So Siddhantic astronomy is a particular phase when Indian astronomy went from encoding stories as metaphors and so on into using mathematics, using mathematics to understand the course of the heavenly bodies and so on. We know that there were many early Siddhantic works that are lost. The Surya Siddhanta talks about these things but it also says those works are no longer available. Even the author of the Surya Siddhanta is referring to such an ancient epoch saying that those works are not available anymore, that's that's what you see over here. So the texts are lost but the citations remain. This shows a gradual development of mathematical astronomy in the ancient past. It's very very important because all of a sudden you have Aryabhata there with an enormously developed uh, mathematics leading us to critique that maybe Aryabhata got his knowledge from the Greeks and so on. This is the critique that comes out against us. But then when you look at the antiquity of some of these works over here it's clear that there's a gradual development of mathematics. I'm not going to read all these things. There's a deep tradition of mathematical astronomy whether you look at Vedanga Jyotisha, Surya Siddhanta, Vashashra Siddhanta, Paitamaha, Romaka Pulisa Siddhanta, Aryabhata's work, Varhamira's commentaries on the five Siddhantas, Mahabhaskariya, Siddhanta Shiromani and uh, Nilakanta Somayaji's work, Yiktibasa, and Siddhanta Darpana that we talked about. A lot of information that there's a tradition of knowledge in India, a slow growth accumulation of knowledge rather than a borrowing of knowledge from outside. Until such point, when we came to uh, Nilakantha Somayaji, he already had a partial heliocentric model. He had a model in which he thought the Earth is stationary, the Sun is going around the Earth, and all the planets are going around the Sun. So he said that Venus, Mars, uh, Saturn, Jupiter all go around the Sun, and the Sun along with all these things goes around uh, the Earth. And the same model was used by Tycho Brahe in the in Europe. So, you see, there's a transmission of ideas from one place to another, giving, giving rise to a continuity of thought. Well, there was an early attempt to discredit Indian astronomy because, like I said, Max Muller had come with a certain linguistic model and dated some of the Vedas to certain periods of time, and it turned out that. Somebody came and said, confronted him and said that, you know, Vedanga Jyotishas is 1440 BCE. Rig Veda seems to have uh, Aditi's episode and Ashwini's episode, Balakavgadar Tilak. He called out those criticisms. Confronted with all these things, Max Muller finally, in this book, he writes a foreword, very fiercely defends his position and he says he can accept only Colebrook's date because 1400 BCE is after Aryan invasion of 1500 BCE and others, he says, Hindu astronomy is unreliable. Same thing with this gentleman over here uh, John Betley says that Hindu astronomy is unreliable and these kind of views are f- loosely flaunted to the present times by Indic scholars. I have talked to professors who are living today who you normally think are Indic scholars but even they have espoused views like this saying that Indic astronomy is unreliable. I think you can make such statements only if you had no idea about Indic astronomy then you would make these kind of uh, silly statements. I talked earlier about Otto Neugebauer. He is a very powerful man who set the stage for how Western world views Indian astronomy, Indian mathematics and so on. This is a book that he wrote, Exact Sciences in Antiquity. So his claims were the length of longest to shortest day is three is to two in both Hindu and Babylonian astronomy. Starts on page number 162, he makes a claim. So he starts seeing parallels in Babylonia as well as in uh, Indian astronomy. He says Vara mehra as well as Lee Gentle, Lee Gentle who saw how the Tamil astronomers were using calculations to make uh, duration of eclipse, when the eclipses uh, start and so on. He encoded this algorithm, they actually went through a process of half an hour of calculation using shells and so on so he made a note of all their calculations and sent it off and based upon that he's saying they use something called linear function to compute the moon's motion that's what the tamil astronomers are doing after half an hour of calculation they said the eclipse will start at this time eclipse will get over at this time this is the duration of the eclipse all that he said is exactly the same as what was done in babylon in page number 165 he makes this claim something called a zigzag linear function the terminology as well as the zodiac name he says matches Babylonia. Varamira, he says incorrectly copied constants of planets from Babylon and he concludes that Indians copied astronomy from Greeks and Babylonians. Now I strongly urge people to read Subhash Kak's work on Babylonian and Indian astronomy early connections where he makes a powerful rebuttal of all of these ideas. So please do uh, uh, read this particular work I am not going to go into details. His student was Pingri. So Pingri was Otto Neugebauer's student, and he mistranslated a Nepali copy of this Yagnaveshvara's Yavana Jataka, and he continued claims of his teacher in Indian astronomy that we incorrectly borrowed from the Greeks and Babylonians: the ratio of three to two, use of linear functions, use of water clock, concept of tithi, use of two intercalary months, uh, uh, five—that is, every five years it uh, synchronizes—concept of five-year yoga. Once again, refer you to Subhash Kak, who does a concise rebuttal of these things. Also, K.S. Shukla. Shukla has uh, uh, also uh, basically uh, debunked some of these works that uh, he did as well as mark Bill Mark. he's also recently has come out with works that uh, says pingri fabricated findings misread and conjectured to arrive at conclusions very very strong statements from both Bill Mark as well as shukla that uh, pingri had made incorrect understandings of uh, uh, yavana jataka and the translations of those things anyway these are the received wisdom that we have today nobody questions pingri and nobody questions Uh, Otto Nujbauer. So whenever you see works that claim that Indians got knowledge from the Greeks or the Babylonians, you should understand that they are using Nujbauer's works as well as uh, Pingree's works. This lady is the student of Pingree. So it's a three generation Paramparano. So she's a a, a, a Kim Lovka. So she critiques Subhashgak's astronomical code of Rig Veda. She subscribes to the Aryan invasion theory, this book on mathematics in India, in page 6 to 8, she says that uh, she's leaning towards the Aryan invasion theory. If you subscribe to Aryan invasion theory, you have some constraints put on your thinking. You cannot go outside those constraints. Those constraints will require you to assume knowledge came into India from outside. So once she does that, she also appears to be open to the Babylonian transmission issue, whether it came from India or Babylon, she appears to be open to that. She discards the idea that Kerala school influenced Europe. In these pages she says that there is no influence of Kerala on uh, Europe, European mathematics. Again that is based upon certain assumptions that wish and other such things. On the whole she has got a refreshing book but it has got a strong Euro, uh, Eurocentric subtext and you need to be careful reading that. She reconstructs Parameshwara's expansion of the sine function and shows because of the factor of 4 instead of 6. She says it's a crude approximation rather than understanding Taylor series. Taylor series is a mathematical entity where you take a nonlinear function, you can expand it as an infinite series. This is the basis of all of our today's technological works. It's the basis of that. Once you have a linear function, then you can start doing predictions and things like that. And it appears that Indian mathematicians from the Kerala School of Math had up to three terms of the Taylor series. Taylor series is a later te- term that came, but then up to three terms. Because a factor of four was used instead of six, she says it was not based on understanding but by a crude approximation and she shows how that approximation was got. In other words, she's working just like Pingree and just like Otto Nechbauer to show that Indians got knowledge from Babylonians and Greeks. So they had to labor very hard to go against the flow because there's overwhelming evidence from this side that says that Indian knowledge went to Babylons and the Greeks. So that is what it. Did. Conclusions. Initially, astronomical knowledge is encoded as stories, later Siddhantic astronomy saw a strong development of mathematics. We have a long trajectory of knowledge from earliest works of Patani, Samantha. Mathematics partial heliocentric model was the heights of accomplishment. Astronomy learning was greatly impeded by Muslim invasions once Ujjain was destroyed and so on and so forth. Many of the knowledge systems are gone. Eurocentric attacks on Indian math and astronomy from colonial to present times are dictated by deference to the Aryan invasion theory model. So if you debunk the Aryan invasion theory model, all these constraints fall. None of these assumptions are true anymore. The field is open to fresh interpretation and uh, other things.